podcast is brought to you by New Hope Baptist Church. For more information, visit the website newhope.net.au or follow us on social media. I have a question for you tonight. What do you think about when you think of God? In your imagination, when you picture God, what do you see? What is the expression on his face? Is it warm and kind, harsh and disapproving? Is he looking down his nose at you with arms crossed, waiting for you to mess up? Is his posture meek or mighty? Is he just or compromising? When you think of God, does he seem distant or close? Now we can't unpack all of that today. For now, I just want you to notice what comes to mind. And I'd like to suggest that one of the core things that God wants you to know about who he is, is that he is gracious. He's gracious in heart, gracious in character, gracious by nature, gracious in action. He is gracious towards you. We have the gift tonight of time to sit in this truth, to talk about and remember the surpassing, striking, abundant, dumbfounding, almost unbelievable, heartwarming, life-changing grace of God. And if that does not immediately thrill you or fill you with great excitement, then just give it the next 20 minutes. Ish, and we'll see what happens. I'm going to pray to kick us off. Feel free to close your eyes, bow your heads, um, and join me in prayer. Father God, as we continue to gather together in this intentional time of worship and community, we ask that you would meet with us, reveal yourself to each one of us, Bring your scriptures to life for us. May we know you more and love you more. Father, would you encourage, strengthen and challenge us so that we might be empowered to walk in your grace this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight, we are continuing with our series, Christ the Centre, as we read through the book of Ephesians. We've done quite a lot of background on the book in previous weeks, which I won't rehash today, but for now, if you're new, if you're new here, I'll just recap that Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, a prominent Christian in the early church, and the letter is directed to the church in Ephesus, quite a large city located in what's known as Asia Minor, or what we would know today as uh, modern day Turkey. This is such a great book. I really encourage you, first of all, to read this book for yourself. Um, and second of all, if you missed some of the sermons in the series, to go back and find them on YouTube or on the podcast because they're worthwhile listening to. But also because Ephesians is a letter where there are quite clear logical progressions and each new section builds on the one that's the one prior. So I think you'll find it helpful in future weeks if you have a good grasp on what's gone before. Today we're going to look at just three verses um, from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. We'll get our Bibles out in a moment and read the passage. But before that, I wonder if you'll let me just read them to you. 
You could close your eyes if you want and just try to pay attention to your initial reaction to them. There's no right or wrong here. We're just noticing. All right, here we go. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, you can get your Bibles out now. Um, We'll also put the verses up on the screen um, and we'll read it again, but this time in the context of the chapter. We're going to read from verse 1, partly because we had the Whitley crew here last week at the 5pm service. Um, So we actually skipped these verses um, and partly because, like I said before, these verses build on what went before. These verses are like the closing statement of a the closing statement of a point that Paul's taken a whole passage to make. Okay, Ephesians 2 from verse 1. Perfect, thank you, Ken. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So we've had the build-up. Paul starts by depicting the struggle of humanity. Later he says, you have been saved, but what are we saved from? Paul says that we were dead. There is no life in us apart from Christ. We were captive to our own flesh and to oppressive spiritual forces. We were deserving of wrath. We were in need of saving. But, and here's the good news, Paul goes on. From verse four. Thank you, Kent. Um, From verse four. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. There is no mistaking it. The fate of humanity was bleak apart from God's intervention. But God loved the world so much that He stepped in. Romans 5, 8 says this, God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it looked not good. But God, motivated by His loving and gracious character, made a way to save us through Jesus. And He didn't just save us by helping us escape the bad thing. He made us alive, gave us new life. He raised us up and seated us in heaven with Jesus. I encourage you to go find Alan's Alan's sermon on these verses from the morning service last week. Um, 
we don't have time to unpack that fully today. But don't these verses really paint a picture of God's heart, His great love, His rich mercy, and the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And now we get to our verses. Paul has already said, it is by grace you have been saved. And he repeats that here, but then says more, clarifying what grace is, what it's not, and what it might mean for us. Let's read it again, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what is this grace? I've been reading this little book called What is Grace? And in it, the author offers this definition. Grace is something beneficial that is extended to someone who may not deserve it and has not earned it, nor can they pay it back. Definitions of grace all revolve around these key ideas. Something good is given and there is no way to earn it and no way to pay it back. Whether it was deserved or not is irrelevant. It's a good thing given without condition. It is unmerited favour. We see that here too. Paul says, grace is a gift from God. It is not from yourself and it cannot be earned by human effort. It is received by the faith that comes from accepting that there is nothing we could do to earn God's approval and nothing that we need to do because God approves of us in Christ. Paul makes the point that because salvation is a gift, there is no way to boast in it because it's not from you. There is no room for comparison between believers within a church or within the church. Each of us are equally recipients of God's unmerited gift of grace. And because of this, God's grace frees us from the need to earn our status or constantly prove ourselves. It frees us from our comparison crutch this desire we have to constantly assess our worth and value in relation to other people. This is good news, right? God has saved us by grace. We cannot earn it. There is no way to deserve it. It is gift freely given. So how come so often, for me at least, how come these verses don't impact us? We see Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 on a fridge magnet, written in a birthday card from your aunt. Some faithful prayer warrior prays them over you. But sometimes we're left unmoved. Why are we so often apathetic to the mind-blowing truth that through Jesus, God has made a way to save us and we don't have to do anything to earn it? In fact, it is 100% certain that we will do and have done things to reject God and His way. He still offers us salvation and new life in Him. But we find grace hard to grasp. And I think it's human. Our experience of the world as an ungracious place can leave us feeling insecure 
unsure or like we need to protect ourselves. We experience people as ungracious towards us. We recognise in our own hearts a tendency to not forgive, to hold a grudge, to not be gracious. And so, yes, I can acknowledge that God saved me by grace, but do I really believe that at His very core, God's heart towards me is gracious? I think we often disconnect the two. We separate God's action from His character. And by doing so, we strip these words of their power. We remove verses 8 to 10 from the ones that went before it, where Paul emphasises God's heart and character. And we forget that at the centre of God's gift of grace is God's gracious heart. In reality, God's choice of method, His process in redeeming the whole world by grace reveals His nature as loving and gracious. The two have to go hand in hand. I have a story from my own life, which I'd like to share with you. It is not my finest moment. Um, This feels like a safe space. This story is an, an encounter I had with human grace, which really opened my heart to what God's grace is actually like. And I'm hoping it might help you too. To set the scene, this was a number of years ago. I just moved to Melbourne to go to uni. I worked as a nanny, a babysitter, basically. And I drove a very sad, small, blue car. Don't know why blue is relevant to the story, but it feels relevant to me. (laughs) Anyway, this car just had unrelenting issues. A classic first car. One day, finally gave up on me, and I was stuck because I needed a car for work. Enter my lovely grandparents. They came to the rescue, and I don't remember the specifics, but basically they generously lent me their car. The only problem was that their car was much bigger than my car, and the family I worked for lived in Richmond. Are you seeing where this is going? So it's my first day driving the car. I pick up the girl I looked after from school, and it's all going okay. I pull into the extremely narrow one-way street. I'm driving slow, very carefully, being my ultra-responsible, cautious, slightly uptight self. (laughs) I pull into the driveway and scrape the front end of the neighbor's car. Humiliating. I borrow my grandparent's car, have it for one day, immediately crash it. I'm embarrassed the 12-year-old I look after saw everything. I'm worried what my grandparents will say. I have no money, so I'm also quite concerned about what this might cost me. But I'm on the clock still. I have four four more hours to get through before I can go home. So I just push all that emotion down, very healthy, push it down until it's 7.30 and I can finally get back in my car and let it all out. And with tears streaming down my face, I reverse out of the driveway and straight into a different car parked on the opposite side of the street. 
like I said, not my finest moment. At this point, it has seriously escalated for me. I'm having a full panic attack, and I don't want to make light of that, but I was having a full panic attack on the side of the road. Some girl running past has to help me write a note because I can't find who this other car belongs to. And I'm honestly crying too hard to hold a pen. I eventually drive home and I'm hysterical. I can barely breathe. I don't know what to do. I'm convinced I can never face my grandparents again. Never again. The the humiliation and the shame was overwhelming. So I call my parents and they can barely understand what I'm saying. I managed to ask my dad to call his parents because I know I can't. And then I hang up, I go inside. I'm in my room, spiraling. This goes on for a while. And then my phone rings, my grandparents. I somehow muster up enough courage to answer the phone. And to be honest, most of this phone call is a blur. I think they asked if I was okay and what happened and gave them the details so that they could do an insurance claim. And then between my sobs and apologies, my grand said something I will honestly never forget. She said, Hannah, we are just so grateful for this opportunity to tell you how much we love you. So grateful for this opportunity to tell you how much we love you. It slayed me. (laughs) It cut right through all my guilt and shame. Upon reflection, I should have never expected they would be that angry with me. I knew they loved me. I knew they would forgive me. But at the very least, what I did was inconvenient for them. And disappointment would have been a reasonable reaction. Or, Hannah, we forgive you, but... Our generosity towards you will have limits from now on because you kind of blew it. That kind of forgiveness is one thing, but what I experienced was the riches of grace as they spilled out from a person. It was more than a gracious action. It spilled out of her because at her core, her heart towards me was love. In that moment, it was like the fog lifted and God just whispered to me, This is grace. This is my heart for you. God does not require me to do anything to earn it or resolve anything, fix anything. He has resolved the sin of the world in Christ. You might not find this story very relatable. (laughs) Admittedly, I'm particularly prone to anxiety around never making a mistake. And I was particularly unreasonable as a 20-year-old. But I think many of us are prone to feeling like we need to earn God's love and kindness. Or we accept that He graciously gave us Jesus, but He sort of reluctantly distributes that grace. But God's heart is abundant grace. He is overjoyed by any opportunity to tell you how much He loves you. One of the best things about this experience was that it changed my expectations around how God interacted with me personally. 
And it opened my eyes so that I began to recognise that same heart of God as I read Scripture. Throughout the Bible, there is story after story that reinforces this picture of God. In the book of Exodus, God saves the nation of Israel from captivity in Egypt. And they're faithful for about five seconds and then truly mess up. They make an idol to worship, a golden calf, rather than acknowledging the God who saved them. But God does not leave them or reject them. Instead, He renews His covenant with them and He proclaims His name to Moses. In other words, He tells Moses who He is. These are God's words from Exodus 34. God proclaims His name saying, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Yes, God is just and He deals with sin, but grace and compassion are primary to who He is. This description of God is echoed throughout Scripture. Psalm 103, 8 to 11 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbour His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. James 5.11 says, The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. 1 Timothy 1.14 says, The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Don't you want to spend time with someone who loves you like that? Someone who overflows with grace and compassion towards you. Do you think it would change you? Paul says it does. Let's return to the passage a final time just to get our bearings. Ephesians 2, 8-10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what do we know? We've been saved by grace. It was a pure gift. Salvation is all God's work. We did not make it happen. We did not work to earn it. And we can receive it through faith. God's saving work is not just about being saved from death, but about being given new life. Do you remember in verse 4, it said, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. When Paul says we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus, this is what he means. As we receive Jesus into our lives, we are made alive. We are given new life. We are restored. Who we are now is also a gift. We are His work. Those who have received this gift are now given work to do. And 
until the time when Jesus returns and brings an end to this age, we are invited to live in ways that attest to God's character and work in us. God's will is that, like my gran, those who have received His grace are shaped and transformed by it in order that they may participate in His new creation, in order that we may do good works, which are distinct from the works that were mentioned in the previous verse that were about earning. Good works are not the basis for salvation. They come on the back of the new life already given. They are the fruit of salvation. Good works are not boxes to tick or ways to behave. This is not a call to productivity or efficiency. Good works or fruitfulness are an overflow of reality. They come from knowing and sharing in God's heart and then walking in His way in response to His gracious redemption. In Galatians, another letter written by the Apostle Paul, he makes a similar point. Works of the law count for nothing. Paul says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. These are the works that God calls us to. I'm going to invite the band up again. But before I close, I want to ask you one last time. What do you think about when you think of God? Do you think of the God of grace, who because of His great love for us, saved us as a free gift, not because we did anything to earn or deserve it, Do you think of a God who made you and restored you and gave you new life? And as you receive His life, as you join your life to His, He empowers you to walk in His good ways. Before we respond in worship together, I invite you to take a moment, just a minute or two, to speak with God. You might like to ask Him for yourself who He is, and what He's done and what that might mean for you.